live from the dirt bike test shop it's tech talk taco tuesday which means we don't have any t tacos yet <laughs> they're being delivered um i got my beer got my uh one out of the cooler it's been rolling around in there for a little while don't have a bartender that's gonna cut into uh cut into my uh timing here but we'll see if we can make this thing work out see uh Sam Felipe, Bob, Mark Schneider, um, some locals, <laughs> some guys, Jessica, another girl that I used to run with, running by mean running and, and uh, drinking beer. So if you don't know what that is, that's my other hobby. So um, hopefully this thing will keep updated. We'll be able to do the questions, um, get to all those. I put up on our social media channels, and here's why you got to follow those social media channels. Um, we're always doing different things and putting stuff in different locations because, unfortunately, um, everybody has a different metric by how they measure your success. So um, they would say, oh, how many Instagram followers do you have? Well, who's watching you on Twitter? And I really don't want to spend all my time um, trying to boost those things, but we do a little bit. So if you can share that stuff um, with some of your friends that are interested in what we're talking about, let them know that dirtbiketest.com, you know, when you go on the website and you type in into a browser and a website pops up, that is the base source for all this information. That's where we publish as much stuff as we can. But if you have paid attention to us um, for a while, you notice that there's not a ton of stuff up there. This is literally, you know, just a few guys. And right now it's, Lately, it's just been one guy. Uh, actually, Scott Scott put up the, a pretty cool Husky test that got a really good bump in traffic the other day. But we're just doing this in our spare time, and we're competing against and um, against companies that are you know like the ones that used to put up all this stuff and did it professionally. It was our real job, so we'd like to make it that way again. We're working on some stuff to make it that way again. But when they say, "Well, you only have," 4,000 people looking at you on, on uh, Instagram. How, how valuable is that? Well, you guys are customers. You're their customers. You're, it's not fake likes and all that stuff like that. It's not thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up stuff. So um, it really helps out when you share and talk about what we're talking about and tell people where you got some of the information and you know that you can come here and get no nonsense, no BS, straight from the horse's mouth answers to your questions, especially live, and especially if you comment on the ones where we're asking for the questions. So somebody says that Scott needs to bring back Supermoto Racer Magazine. If Scott were here right now, he could answer that question. Actually, you know what? Go blow up Scott's Facebook page and tell him he should be here doing this. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I actually don't even know where you find Scott. I find him every once in a while. I can text him, and uh, we run into each other at intros. So, uh, but he, I, I, when, when I came up with this crazy idea, dirt bike test, I wanted to bring Scott in specifically, uh, because I've worked with him for a long time. I've known him. He's super passionate about this sport and supermoto. And since I'm the guy that killed supermoto and he's the guy that tried to keep it alive. And, uh, I guess maybe Troy Lee will forgive me for that. I don't know. We'll see how it works out. So. Anyhow, I'm gonna roll right into um, uh, some of the questions. One of the one of the best questions I got was sent to us straight through uh, Dirt Bike Test our webpage, and um, it uh, is Dirt Bike Test. I'm working on a privateer effort for the 2020 Baja 1000. That's a good thing that you're starting now. <laughs> that's number one. That's the that's the best thing you're, you've done. Um, we have our hands on a great deal. But I went through your review of the 2018 Husqvarna, uh, no, the 2018 450 XCF. And um, so what his question comes down to is he wants to do it on a 2016 Husky FC 450. So he reviewed our 2018 XCF test, and he has a few concerns because him and his teammates are KTM guys, and that's what we're going to have for spare parts. And his main concern is the motor and how hard it hits. He says, to remedy this, I would like to install an EXC flywheel and stator to mellow the hit and make the electrical power to run dual Baja Design squadrons. That's another good thing. Dual Baja Design squadrons. Smart choice for lighting. Um, so 
My question is whether or not you feel this EXE stator and flywheel change would greatly reduce the hit the motor has. We want something that finds good traction and is not a beast to ride. So I'll just kind of roll back and break this thing down. Um, I would try to keep my bike as stock as possible um, just from the get-go. And if I'm doing complete swaps of ignition components and everything, um, that can get a little bit tricky. So I, in, in, and then it goes back to you want to alter the hit and the, the power character of the motorcycle. So the best thing, the two, two best ways to do that are to find some way to um, play with the fuel tuning, whether that's a JD jetting tuner or a vortex ignition, something where you can alter the fuel and maybe the ignition that would help a huge amount. And then, then a muffler can, can make a big difference. And if you're having a problem with hit and, um, power delivery, sometimes, um, let's see. So sometimes going to like more like a Q muffler, an FMF Q, or, you know, when the, when it's a little bit quieter can quieter can sometimes change the hit. The header design makes a big difference. And unfortunately, as a just regular guy, you're not able to try all these different header lengths and stuff. Um, but from, from my experience, the FMF mega bomb, um, does, smooth the power out, um, give the bike a little bit more of a torque feel as opposed to a hit. And so, and if you notice, it's kind of funny cause it's like we're a broken record. You start looking at a lot of the bikes that we have around here when we start long-terming them or develop, you know, doing, doing testing and stuff, that seems like the setup we're going to, well, there's a reason for it. Um, it's, it's a, it's easy for us to get our hands on, but B it works. So before I would start working on changing the ignition, um, in reference to changing the power character, I would look at doing something with the fueling. And if you want to get, if you want to reduce the hit, generally you add a little bit of fuel, like richen it up just a little bit, and it'll give the bike a sensation of more traction. And we're going to talk about the Yamaha Power Tuner and Power Tuner app a little bit later, and we'll get more into that a little bit deeper later. But um, in reference to the stator and well actually it's not the stator the flywheel the heavier flywheel and i don't even know how much heavier it is because you, it depends on which generation like if you're talking about a 2016 husky and a 2018 ktm they're kind of there's some different parts it's a different engine family there's been a big change there so it's not just as easy as swapping one thing it may be with ktm and husky it may be as easy as these parts all bolt right in but um, I don't, I don't think you're going to find that the flywheel weight is going to be the big change that you're necessarily looking for. And then don't rule out gearing, you know, just altering the gearing. And especially when you're going to Baja with the taller gearing, sometimes that mellows out that hit, um, to begin with. So, um, I would kind of start simple, do the really easy stuff before you kind of get into something more difficult. And I'm pretty sure if the bike has a battery, there's going to be enough charging going on to keep that battery charged that will run those LED lights. They don't have a huge draw, but that's something you can check with Baja Designs. Those guys know exactly, you know, if you're running two of them, they'll know if it's compromising your stator. And oftentimes they can just rewind your stock stator and you're bingo, good to go. So hopefully that answered your question. That was from Nate. Nate, good luck. Um, I'm glad that you guys are taking your, uh, your time to... Um, you know, plan this thing out and stuff and put a lot of miles on that bike, uh, before you go do that race. Don't, don't just build it up. And then it, that's its first run out there, you know, spend some time. You can actually do probably four Baja 1000s in that bike before it needs a rebuild. That's my opinion. So, um, uh, go, go out and, you know, uh, take your time, test it, uh, make it good. So let's see, or how are we doing on question? Um, Jessica said on, on, thank you, Jessica <laughs> on, on, I need to get back and run in long beach every once in a while. So I'm going to scroll. I always forget whether I'm supposed to go up or down on this thing. Um, let's see, here we go. Um, Chris Smith needs to hear what story. Let's see. Um, they had a gen geriatric FS 450 video. What? I don't know. Um, looking good, Jimmy, um, casting to 65 to Degrees. That's uh Mark. We call him Clake. Um <laughs> good buddy Mark. And he, he came to one of my classes and he had this interesting contraption from Australia. It's called a clake and it operates the clutch and the brake at the same time. A, a marvel of engineering. Um 
nearly impossible to have it functioning 100% perfectly all the time is my opinion, but I've never had one on my personal bike. I just know that almost everyone I've ever come in contact with needed adjustments or uh, needed um, or broke or did all that kind of stuff. So a little bit tough. Um, feet is spotless. That's good. Or am, am I coming to Hangtown 51? Uh, <laughs> Ed Santon misses me. Of course he does. I usually had I usually had a keg of this in my motorhome, and he would stop by for you know refreshments as needed. I'd I'd love to come back. Um, a lot of times people say, Jimmy, how come you don't race anymore? Because I don't want to race, but I loved riding certain races, and Hangtown was one of them. Um, and if you ever get the chance to go do that, their amateur day, they run most of the the same course that the pro riders do, except for the big double jumps you don't want to do, but. That track is never prepped to that level, and I raced it a bunch of times when I was an amateur, and and it was never as good as it is before the national. And the club goes out of their way to make you feel like you're on the national track. So I would always, uh, you know, when I was at Dirt Rider, I'd grab a bunch of staff and a bunch of 125s for me, and we'd go, you know, have a great time at that um, at that event. So I'd love to come back up. Um, just it's a matter of squeezing into the into the tight schedule. Maybe when I quit doing this, I can just go ride dirt bikes all the time. So, uh, let's see. Uh, I have figured this out, I think. I'm, I'm working on it. I, I, need, I need, like, a producer. The TLD Supermoto Fallout and How You Ruined It. Okay. So, I ran Dirt Rider Magazine for about eight years. And that was in the, hey, look, tacos are showing up. <laughs> Don't get in the way of the... Uh, they don't want to hear me eat, so we'll just kind of keep them off to the side a little bit. I'll just, uh, you know, I'll snack. I'll, I'll, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put one of you guys on here. Uh, <laughs> you guys can, you guys can take over the show while I eat. Um, so, uh, back to the uh, the what was it? Oh, the Supermoto Fallout. So my take on Dirt Rider Magazine, and when I got there it was just when Supermoto was really starting to boom, and I actually did a few of the of the events. I raced um uh, i was at fontana i raced at fontana and a couple other places and and i loved it had a great time um but it my take on it was dirt rider was about dirt bikes and knobbies and those bikes did not have knobbies so it was it was yeah there's some and there was definitely a lot of dirt bike heroes that were racing it i got to race against jeremy mcgrath and doug henry and and a lot of really jeff ward for instance troy lee <laughs> so um actually me and Troy Lee came together a couple times maybe that's why he doesn't like me um but uh we um we just kind of decided knobbies define a dirt bike and I still I still run on that premise today when I I, I teach my schools I say if you're going to ride in the dirt you need to have a knobby tire even on your adventure bike a knobby type tire so um that's that was my thing, and we didn't necessarily put a lot of Supermoto in Dirt Rider magazine um, for that reason. I thought it was more of a street uh, application. So there's, um, you know, there's there that was my take on it. We did, you know, put some photos and stuff on it, but we weren't going to make it into Dirt Rider Supermoto magazine. Scott took the horns and made a Supermoto magazine. It was way better than we could ever do. So um, that's the. Uh, that's the that's the story behind that one. So let's see here. Um, let's see. I'm gonna look and see if we got any other questions. Somebody's in from Boise, Idaho. Thank you. Um, uh, let's see. Four. Uh, let's see. Listening for Boise. I raced District Three Seven Four Stroke Open in '98. Uh, Current bike 2018 2018 250FX. Love it. Um, I can't post pictures here. <laughs> Let's see, with McGrath in it. Let's see. Um, okay, so I'm going to kind of roll into um, some of the other questions that we had over the course of the week. It's like, Jimmy, why don't you test Sherco Gas Gas TM SMW, insert name of small brand manufacturer here, and there? why is there no two-stroke shootout? It's simple. Um, number one, we don't have a lot of time to do a lot of that. It's not that we don't get the offers to do it. Um, sometimes it requires hopping on a plane, maybe flying yourself back there. Of course, they'll fly the big books out there, uh, but that's who's getting the exposure currently. So until we get enough exposure, they're not going to pay to have us come and um, come out and test their bikes, nor 
do I have a job that lets me take four days to go back east to test some of those bikes? I would personally rather have them out here where we test all of our other bikes so we can run them around the same terrain, same conditions. And if you think, you know, oh, well, this bike only works back east, well, I have back east conditions here. I've ridden all over the place. I can evaluate a bike here and understand how it's going to work in a lot of different conditions. We have sand. We have, you know, tight technical. See, our trees, they don't have big, strong branches on them. They have sharp prickly little points like cactus ever heard of that stuff you go around the cactus just as much as you go around the trees so um j frank parnell <laughs> you'll find one in every car mark um somebody just popped something up on the feed that uh, knocked me off my track but anyways um i'd love to test those bikes it just kind of comes down to time um and and if you have followed me over the years, you know I have no problem testing this, testing the smaller and more obscure, weird brands. Um, and I don't come into it with some preconceived notion that this bike sucks. Um, I take everything kind of with an open mind, appreciate things for what they are, understand that a lot of times the people that ride weird bikes like Husebergs um, have something wrong with them, and maybe they want to be different. So it's not to say that that's the best bike in the world, um, cause the bikes that sell huge numbers are built for large groups of riders, not more specific niche type, um, groups. So, uh, that's the main reason that we we haven't been able to do that. We did test the gas gas, um, you know, when they introduced their kind of all new two stroke last year, uh, we've been offered to do TMs. I know specifically, I haven't heard anything from the SMW people, um, Clay from Sherco had reached out to me a couple times and I just exactly, um, wasn't, uh, totally available to go do that. Um, I said, send a bike out here and I'd love to try it. Uh, and I know you've seen those bikes winning at extreme Enduro, So I even get more excited about trying that. And I've liked them in the past when I've had the opportunity to ride them. I don't believe I've ridden a Sherco two stroke. I might've had a real quick stint on one, but not anything I can comment on for a long period of time, but I have ridden the four strokes and I thought the four strokes were actually pretty good. Why no two stroke shootout? We got to get all the bikes together at the same place at the same time. KTM and Husky are selling every two stroke that they make quite easily. And they have really not a whole lot of desire to let one sit around here while I wait for a gas gas to show up or a beta to show up. And I can probably get those if I start reaching out. In fact, I'm trying to get my hands on a beta 200 because I think beta is doing what beta does best. They've found a niche that KTM has left a little opening in, and now they're going to produce that. I have a KTM 200 sitting with the cylinder off right there. <laughs> so um, I know about 200s. I like them. So that's the answer to that question. And I'm going to go back and see if we got any questions coming in here. I don't think so here. Uh no, uh, Bob, that wasn't Brent Farrell. That was J. Frank Parnell. Um, he is the guy who's driving the stolen Chevy Malibu in Repo Man. <laughs> so it's it's really off the cuff here, but it is the best movie ever made. Um, Emilio Estevez's finest uh, moments were in that in that movie, like when he's throwing off uh, throwing up over the bridge. I think it's the first uh, uh, throw up scene ever in a in a Hollywood production. Real throw up. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about it. So um, let's see. Can I? Can you talk about? Okay, there's something navigation style events. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get to that one. Uh, the other thing is is um, somebody uh, sent me a message and it was ten hour pist uh, piston replacement question mark question mark How can this be true? That was what I got. And I'm like, 10-hour piston replacement on... Okay, let's... That's just the question I got. What bike were you talking about? Um, in what reference? Uh, in, you know, I need a little more information on that. Uh, I was just kind of kind of blown away. And then... So I, I, I asked those questions back. And they said, well, on the internet, I read that Honda has a 10-hour piston replacement. And I'm like, okay, on which model? You know, I'm, I'm sure they sell some, uh, you know, some sort of, you know, kit race bike someplace that might have that, but I'm not aware of 
a 10 hour piston replacement. Maybe, maybe there's, I wish I had a, I wish I had a manual for every, every bike. In fact, I do, I do have some manuals. You know what, Mitch, I'm going to have you go reach into that cabinet over there and pull out one of the Honda manuals. And then we're going to, we're going to look up just uh CRF 450. It'd be an older CRF 450 X, but we're going to find out what the piston replacement is. And I'm waiting for the piston. I'm waiting for the manual on the new CRF 450 X because I want to see those things that and the L um, specifically. Uh, I don't know if that's, that's, that's the so oh, that'll work yeah so see if there's service you, you have to do i can't read and talk at the same time um so you got a job now <laughs> so mitch is here helping me uh, uh my way through here he's my taco delivery i'm watching my tacos get soggy but it's okay um but i think that's what they were talking about i think they were talking about a, a honda 450x or l and and the question is can this be true well i guarantee you that in the manual that they have some 15 hours on a Honda CR4. This is a 2004, 8, 2005-2006 CR450X calls for a 15-hour piston replacement. And you notice how I'm surprised. You notice how I think that's ridiculous. That's only under racing conditions. Yeah, it says only under racing conditions. There's an asterisk next to that. So the reason I'm surprised and amazed is because uh, the fact that people believe that kind of stuff, number one, and... And that they think that that it, it those are I always said it, I don't think I said it last week those those service intervals are written by lawyers, um, it's lit, it's written so just in case the fact that the the hardest rider in the world hops on, you know one of these bikes and rings it out they know it will last for fifteen hours and they know exactly how many hours the crank's going to last they know how long the valves are going to last and all that kind of stuff and if you think you're riding that thing at peak torture you should probably go by those service intervals. Otherwise, if you're a normal person like me, you're probably going to get much, much longer, and your motor and your bike will talk to you and let you know you know, whether it starts losing power or it starts smoking or you did something dumb like let air, sand get by the, the um, filter. Well, I didn't do it. My, my kid that was here, he didn't clean. He didn't put enough oil on it. Sucked a little bit of sand. Um Maybe you intend, you know, unintentionally, but got it super, super hot and boiled out all the coolant and still had to ride 20 miles before you're able to put water in it. Then you should start thinking about now it's time to service my motorcycle. Um, so I, I go a little bit more with the common sense um, uh, service interval as opposed to exactly what the manual says. I know at Dirt Rider we did 150 hours on a CR450X. I don't remember the specific number, but then we tore it down. We split the cases. We laid every part out on the ground and we said this is how long this bike had on it and and i remember tearing that motor apart and going man this is a waste of time because nothing was bad i i you know everyone was a, everyone we'd find something that was like yeah maybe i would replace this but remember the honda we put it back together actually the guys from honda were there watching us take it apart because they wanted you know they, they're curious and they want to make sure we do it right but they watched us disassemble the motor and we got it apart they slapped it back together with the stock, the same piston and rings back into it. So um, that kind of shows, you know, and they have access to all the parts that they need. And they put it back together all stock and bolted it back together and probably took it and sold it in the loan pool to a dealer. And I guarantee you that whoever bought that thing is probably still riding it around today. And I have two CR450Xs, older ones that have south of 100 hours on them and not even, actually one of them was a long-term bike at Dirt Rider and, I think we've rebuilt it once just to check, but can't remember. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about those intervals. Um, I don't think it's a. Uh, I don't think it's a, a big deal. So I'm going to go back to the navigation question. Can you talk about the navigation setup for Baja style events? I watch your video on the nine days you spent riding single track in Idaho with two youths on the handlebars. How's that set up, and what software is it running? Uh, Dimitri, I believe his name is. So Dimitri. Um, you watched my tour of Idaho video. Uh, in that video, I am using um, two Trailtech Voyagers. This is previous to them having a Voyager Pro, but I'm watching. Um, I'm looking at two Trailtech Voyagers. Everybody wants to know why I run two, and it's because I'm running them at two different zoom levels. So one zoomed out more, and one zoomed in. So the one that zoomed in, I can almost use for really quick turn by turn. Um, you can see where the turns come up 
really quick. And then you can see if you're off the trail. Like if you miss a turn and you your arrow goes away from the, the, the track log line, you know right away. But if you're zoomed out really far, sometimes it takes a lot longer. So I had two zoom levels running on that. And this is all with, it's all GPS tracks and GPS track logs. It's completely different than rally navigation. But um, if you have a good track log that you want to follow or you want to record your track log, those are great units for it. And then the other thing was for redundancy, because that, that ride, I was out on a nine-day solo ride, and just in case something went bad, I wanted to have a spare. So you never know with you know technology, electronic stuff, or I could have crashed and something could have broke one of them. So that was the reason for two of them. But in learning how to ride a track log you know, efficiently and safely and stuff is a skill and a technique. So, cause you don't want to be staring down at the, at the computer when you're supposed to be looking where you're going, you know, how to need to know how to take a glance at it and see how that stuff works. So, um, hopefully that answers your question. Um, but it's run, it's basically trail tech voyagers. Um, and it's just running their standard software. Um, you can do it with Garmin's. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the Garmin's just because they're, it's, their stuff is so proprietary and it's, it's difficult to, um, kind of, um, basically I have a hard time manipulating the track logs into forms that work good in the, in the Garmin units. So, um, and, and, and then I have, I have friends that really like the Montana's and then they, they have a way to share, you know, in the, the trail tech you share just using a little tiny SD card. So, um, let's see, I'm going to scroll through here and see what, uh, let's see. Beta 200 review yesterday was Pretty please, uh, review. Yes, pretty please. Let's see. In Level Canyon, wanna rip with five vets tomorrow? Um, since I can hear you, so double thumbs up if yes. You can't hear me. <laughs> Why there's no sound? Um, I'm not sure. I actually got an offer to go to Mammoth tomorrow to go snowboarding, and I don't know if I can get out of here. So, um, not really sure. It's like it seems like we're getting to the end of the snowboarding and I haven't been for a while. So I need to get back on that thing. I got lucky today to find a deposit slot for a 790 R. I know that you may have ridden one. What do you think? I'm doing the Idaho BDR in September and can't wait. Um, yes, I have ridden a 790 R. Um, I, I don't know if it was a completely stock one or not. It was for some suspension testing stuff. So, uh, you're going to love that bike. Um, what do I think? I think it's great. <laughs> That's all I can say. Um, until I really, really ride it. Um, when, um, when we get one here so I can actually go and test it, uh, then I can give you a much more thorough evaluation of it. But I think as you can see, the journalists seem to really like it. And I'm pretty sure KTM hit a home run with that bike. So, uh, let's see, Sierra 450 X good to go. hundred to 125 hours. Easy oil changes are cheap. Air filters are cheap. Take care of your moto. Mark, excellent advice. I agree with you. Um, let's see any discussions on the 250x chris rose not yet we haven't got there yet um <laughs> and mark asked me what do i think about iron manning a 100 mile mini bike race on a coleman mini bike with no suspension he's talking about the gambler i don't know if they call it the gambler 100 or the gambler mini um something i have in the back of my mind is to do the gambler 500 which is a car rally um more so because i want to organize one out here because it seems like they go out, drive junky cars out around and off road, pick up trash and have a great time. And, uh, I want to do that. So let's see, let's get right into the Yamaha powder tuner. Um, and I know that was probably one of the biggest questions that was asked after we did our 250 FX comparison, which is up on the um, main screen on dirtbiketest.com right now. We, um, we, Pick the Yamaha basically is our favorite bike and stock stock. It was our favorite bike, but the ability to have to tune it and hold on a second. Where is it? The tuner's right over there. I wonder if somebody will grab me that tuner. It sits around here cause we use it. Actually, we don't have any need for it right now because that bike's gone, unfortunately. But this, this gem here, uh, or the app that you have on your phone now that comes free with your YZ, uh, is, one of those things that, and then there's, a, there's other aftermarket solutions. Um, there's, there's stuff. So what you're able to do with this specific line, the Yamaha is you're able to tune the, the fuel mapping 
to a certain amount and then the ignition mapping to a certain amount. And they've decided where um, they put limits on it so you can't go too far. Um, you can't do anything that would kind of hurt or destroy your bike. And you probably, you probably could if you really tried. But for most people, like the minute you start going to where it doesn't run well or it's going to do something bad, um, the bike's running so bad anyways, you probably won't continue. Hopefully you won't continue to ride it like that. So um, with the app, uh, we published, I know, where did I put the photos up? I think I, they were up on, they were up someplace. <laughs> That's why I say follow all of our different socials. Um, you'll, you'll, that way you get all the different informations. Um, but I put the, the maps that we used and then someone asked me to describe the different maps to say how they were. And cause I said one was more for a, um, novice rider. I'm pretty sure it's up on Facebook. I think it was a post that I put up on Facebook this afternoon. Um, so one was um, more that our novice riders preferred, and it was one that was um, quite a bit richer on the bottom, and there was no ignition advance in it. And when you're tuning this, and, and our maps are specific to our guys, you know, somebody will tell me, hey, I would like it to do this, and I'll goof around really quickly and, and drum up a map, and I'll say, hey, what do you think? And then they try it, and then we change a couple things and we we work on it so we're not afraid to test or try different things and that's the cool thing about these apps it's so easy to do it takes 10 or 15 seconds once you've actually made the map to go out and plug it in try it and go out and do another lap or another section or whatever you're trying to do the best way to think about this when you're tuning um when you're tuning the bike is is if you're doing it like for for jetting reasons, you know you've done something, you've altered the exhaust or changed the intake or you know something that the temperature really changed. And generally, the fuel injection compensates for that. But you're trying to change it. the The fueling, if if you're having a problem and you can't figure it out, go three or four steps higher in that range. You know, instead of just being at zero, go to five plus five and see if that helps. And then go down to negative five and see if that helps. And then if one was better than the other, then you'll know. And even if your bike is running perfect and you want to know how this works, bump it up a little bit higher and then make it leaner and, and try them both ways and see how it works. It's You're not going to hurt anything, and you're going to learn how it works. Everybody just wants, hey, what's the best map? Plug it in. But So you, you can play with it just to see how it works, and then... If you're, if you're saying, I want this bike to do something this or that, here's how you think about it. I always think about, um, and it's, it's more prevalent on a 450 than it is on a 250, but the way I think about it is that if I, if I want the bike to spin up quicker or, or you know, spin a little bit more, I want to I lean it. I want to lean the fuel mixture. And if I want it to get more traction or feel like it hooks up better, or maybe same, similar as saying slow down the RPMs, then I richen the fuel mixture. And so there's times where I'll make little micro adjustments, maybe one or two spots in one and go one direction in the other area. And you have to just kind of realize what throttle position am I in? Um, what RPM am I at? And then that puts you in the right spot in the grid. And the, the old Yamaha tuner, this one, was very simple. And it was just three by three. It wasn't very difficult. The new one is four by four. It gives you a little bit more tuning options and stuff. I believe the Honda HRC tuner is 10 by 10 grid. And some of the aftermarket ones I've worked with, um, Yoshimura used to have one that was sort of, had even had an auto tune and, and uh, Dinojet has one that that is, the, the grid is massive. It's every 500 RPMs, I believe. So there's lots of stuff you can, you can tune with. But the fuel, I always say fuel is traction. You want more traction, add more fuel. You want less traction, um, take fuel away. That's the feeling you get. I don't think it's actually traction. It's actually the, it's actually a feeling. And then if you have the opportunity to do ignition, then ignition to me is more like throttle response. And if you want quicker, snappier, more aggressive throttle response, advance the ignition. And then if you want it to be a feel a little more dead at the throttle, um, not as responsive, retard the ignition from its its current spot. So that's how I separate those two, and that's the way that I um, think about it when I'm riding. It's do I want more throttle response, or is it do I want more traction or less throttle response? You know, vice versa. 
then when you then we start blending those two things together, and here's where it gets confusing, is sometimes the the when you when you when you put sometimes you you add a little bit of fuel and it gets a little bit lazy, you know, because you, you want you want didn't want it to go rev up so quick, but then maybe you can just tune a little bit back with the ignition. And so it's it's playing with each of the settings and testing it. And you know, depending on how you ride, you may be somebody that goes to big throttle openings at low RPMs. And then, you know, those type of riders tend to like sometimes a leaner fuel mixture and a more aggressive ignition setting. Whereas someone that's that's up on the RPMs, that kind of a setting will be a little bit kind of crazy, might, you know, kind of be a little bit too aggressive. So it's something you can play with. It's easy to do. Um, it works. It, it's kind of consistent across the board. The one thing I really like to try is, is someone asked me a question about um, trying the JD tuner on the 300 TPI, the new fuel injected, uh, the two-stroke KTM. And I haven't had a chance to do that, so I don't know how that works, if two-stroke will seem different or change. Um, but it sure would be kind of neat to try. So, And that is currently the next bike on my list to buy is uh, – is when I buy a bike, I'm going to replace my 200 with a 300 TPI. So um, that's where my head's at. So let's see here. Um, I am going to see if we got any other questions before I go back to my board. Um, let's see. Um, feed is not dropping out. Amazing, huh? Um, Gambler 500. <laughs> hey, Glenn. Yeah, good to see you. Um Let's see, Kip. Have you seen how great Scott Myers is doing the Morocco? I have not had a chance to uh, to follow the Morocco Rally. Um, just yet. I have have some of my friends right now that are racing another rally in Morocco in cars, and Andrew Short is currently over doing the uh, Dubai Rally, uh, doing really well. Actually, he was doing really good, and then he had a little technical problem. Uh, I don't know exactly what it was just yet, but lost about forty minutes, which is uh, no bueno. But um, he's still in there. Um, that's a crazy fun rally. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Replying. Okay, they're talking to each other there. My wife. Hey, Heather. She's on the, she's on the line. Hayward. On my CR450L, went four teeth less than the rear sprocket, and it seemed to help the snappiness and mileage. Now I ordered another sprocket with eight teeth less. What do you think of that? Um, how about, how about getting a different countershaft sprocket? Why don't you go one bigger on the countershaft sprocket? That might save you some of the hassle. Hayward, get a JD jetting tuner. That'll fix that snappiness right away. It really does. That, that bike is so lean in the bottom. And I think we actually wrote that in our test and stuff. Um, so that will, the, the tuner fixes that issue on that bike for sure. Um, so I, I know that, um, let's see. Uh, okay, so we're going to kind of work down the line. Um, I know everybody, a lot of people saw the little video we posted up of the KTM 1190 with the Christini all-wheel drive system uh, attached to it. That was, um, it's something that it's a prototype thing that we're testing. Um, Steve has, I, I rode one of Steve's very first CRF 450s back in, oh man, two thousand and. I don't even remember how long ago. It was a long time ago. He brought this contraption, and it was all-wheel drive, and I'm like, yeah, I want to ride it. And he'd been to a couple other media outlets, other magazine guys that just wrote it and said, what a pile of crap. This is junk because it's different, and it feels different. And when you looked at how he hacked an aluminum frame apart and put these gears and a chain on the side of it and had these spindles going down the front, um, I can see where, you know, if you're – picky about that kind of stuff or you think everything has to look exactly like whatever your favorite thing is you, that could happen but i really wanted to ride it because i'm like what does a two-wheel drive motorcycle feel like and i was impressed not to say that there weren't some problems with the very first one um uh there was you know because he had to move some stuff around there was a little bit of handling issues um some of the parts were actually not strong enough and we broke them but instead of like going this is junk i'm like I'm interested to see how this works. I want to try it some more. And we actually went to a friend's house and machined some new parts and went out and played around with it a little bit more. And this was back, I believe, when it was right before I left Cycle World and right before I started at Dirt Rider. So there was there was stories in each one of those magazines about that first bike, and I came away pretty impressed. I said, I think this technology has a place or a home. And 
shortly after that, Steve kind of announced that they were going to start building conversion kits and he was already in his head. I'm going to build a motorcycle. Well, he'd already built a bicycle and to learn more about that, the, the technology, I actually got a all wheel drive mountain bike. I bought a, not a bought, I didn't buy one. I borrowed one from him for a while and, um, rode that around and learned quite a bit from from that as well because everybody says well how does it climb hills you know the 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 motorcycle that's what everybody thinks and like i'm like i don't remember it climbing hills that much better in fact that was probably one of the places where it was at its worst and i'll explain that in a minute but i noticed on the bicycle that man i could go downhill so much better because the front end didn't want to slide and wash out and interesting things like that and then when we played around with the motorcycle a little bit more started realizing that motorcycle is it's it's really quick it like when you when you accelerate it just it just kind of goes so instead of trying to push the front end it like it the whole the whole bike just kind of gets up and goes so if you're in a traction compromise situation sand mud um someplace where your tires have a pretty good equal footing um those bike actually kind of like lunge forward and, and want to pull and then I ended up getting when he uh, made his first kit. I have a CRF 250X um, that I still have that has the all-wheel drive kit on, and I still ride it quite a bit. And and so since I have put time on it, I've learned the differences, how it works, and stuff. So you you start thinking it's it's different. It's just it's the same difference as if you have a two-wheel drive car and a four-wheel drive car. And if you're going to go drive dirt roads or go slide around, you drive a two-wheel drive car much different than you drive a four-wheel drive car. You counter-steer a lot in the two-wheel drive car, and you're just kind of shifting the weight. You know, you're trying to get the weight on the back wheel. Where an all-wheel drive car, you kind of bend it in the turn and steer around the turn. And although the motorcycle is a little bit different, um, you can do that, but it's more the, the all-wheel drive bike will turn a lot more efficiently without having to lean so much. You know, so like in trees, I found it really, really when you're on, you know, more level ground or just slight inclines in trees, you can go around a tree and turn a tree and you can gas it and it'll actually pull the front end around as opposed to needing a berm or wanting to slide. If you're on wet grass, uh, it's crazy how, how good it works because you don't want to lean over too much on wet grass and the bike can kind of stay upright and still kind of tug itself. It actually turns starting in sand. Uh, the back end doesn't want to go down. The bike just wants, and that's when you can see in this video because I turn the I turn the all wheel drive on and off and on and off a couple times, and you can see the difference in how the bike moves. Um, and here's so of course with every advantage there's a disadvantage, and here's the disadvantage, and this is why we wanted to talk about the uphills. So when you're going an uphill, your front wheel is very light, and most riders tend to use the the steering to kind of the handlebars to control their balance. So if your rear wheel, rear wheel is spinning and your front wheel is very light, maybe it's even in the air, and you start losing your balance and you put your wheel down pointing one direction or the other and that wheel is driving, it will pull that way. So uphills, you have to be very careful about pointing where you want to go. <laughs> so that's the that's kind of the, the, one of the one of the small disadvantages that that has. Plus, you're, you're talking about there's some weight disadvantage, there's some mechanical complexity disadvantage, there's things like that, but I really like it. And, and as the military has found out, it's really good for novice riders, especially people that don't have a lot of time on motorcycles because that traction that that front wheel gets tends to save riders and get them out of, you know, bad predicaments. I think really what, what the, the two biggest things that are, that, that Christine has going against them is number one, it's just, it's a different thing. It's just like disc brakes, just like power valves, just like four strokes, just like two strokes. Like the motorcycle industry is so reluctant to change a new technology. Fuel injection. Oh, no, we don't want fuel injection. It's going to make the bike slow. Um, so there's a little bit of that. To all-wheel drive. And it's been going along for a while, and some manufacturers have definitely looked at it. And and there's manufacturers have very interesting patents. Yamaha and Olin's had that patent with a hydraulic drive. If you look closely, KTM has an interesting patent now with an electric front drive that they're they're trying to make work. Uh, the military through DARPA has had some interesting concepts thrown at them that had different um, electric uh, drives put into the front wheel, but really nothing has come close to working um, as efficiently as the the um, mechanical design. And I had a really good question. Um, my friend Rich, who's 
uh, does um, uh, off-roading, four-wheel drive, does the We Rock series, um, and Four Low is his magazine. Um, so he's all into that kind of stuff. He said, what about the torque steer? Smart guy. Yes, there is torque steer, but that's actually what's interesting about the Christini patents is it eliminates or minimizes the torque steer. It's not to say that you're not going to get some, but um, it really kind of cuts it down. Um, that was funny. On the mountain bike, it was a single shaft going down one side of the fork driving it because you don't have that much power. And on the motorcycle, they ended up having to come up with two to make sure that it doesn't do the torque steer. And uh, pretty pretty complex system, very interesting. Um, I was blown away by it on an adventure bike. I had ridden a guy's 950 he converted over um, five or six years ago. But it was a really, it was an interesting contraption with a lot of chains and extra drives. But this is, this is Steve's kind of um, new design. It's actually a very early prototype. It's here so I can break it for him um, so it can be stronger and better. But I was blown away by how easy it makes that bike to in low traction situations to get started get moving um you could stop on an adventure bike my kind of rule is you don't park on an uphill on the sand because you're not going to go uphill on that bike you could so um pretty pretty cool um pretty excited to be testing it um and we'll see where we'll see where it goes so if you have any uh questions about that i can probably answer them i think uh and Chris Real says being outside the box is good. Yeah, Chris tests a lot of weird stuff too. <laughs> he can't talk about it though. Um, let's see. Don't wait till the Tenere 700 comes out to enjoy your tacos. Wow, that's a Yamaha slam, isn't it? That's good. They're just they're they've been dangling that bike in front of us for a long time. I'd like to ride it too. In fact, I told them I told them in all their marketing stuff they needed to go get Daniel Laporte to ride that bike because they were getting these kind of heroes. They had Peter Hansel ride it and they're getting famous people from different countries to ride it. And they never really, I don't know that it ever came to the United States on its tour or whatever it was doing. Um, but Danny has a history of racing Yamaha twin cylinder bikes in Dakar. He, he rode all different kinds of bikes there. Uh, but he would be the perfect guy. He won a world 250 CC world championship for Yamaha. So, so Danny would be super awesome to do that. And then I could peel Danny for information and tell you guys how good that bike was or not, or who knows, but I don't know. So let's see. Um, I think we kind of handled most of those questions there. Did I miss any? I was going to give one of you guys, one of these monitors here to check. Um, let's see. I think that's, I think that's it. Um, I know I got another, I got another uh, uh, picture here or another another question here. Um, it says, Jimmy, why are your knees always dirty in the photos on dirt bike test? And uh, I, I know one of the photos, and then I go, really what? And then I had to go look at it, and it's like, do you know what I'm out there doing, like in order to get people to take my pictures? before I go riding. I mean, come on, you, you know, we're out there and yeah, I'm, I'm taking my backpack off and putting the camera on the ground and then we have to take the lens off and all that. stuff. I, I don't know what you were thinking, but <laughs> so, um, that, yeah, that's, that's why the knees are dirty. We're usually, I usually don't dust my knees off after we're, you know, crawling around on the ground, setting up all the camera equipment and stuff like that. It's not like the old days when I had, you know, assistants and, you know, dressers and, um, you know, people on top of people that, you know, make sure everything looked good. This is just a rinky dink little, um, yeah, changing shock settings and adjusting the bike. Yeah, I do that too. See, my wife knows. Actually, usually I'm yelling at her to take the photo. <laughs> I'm setting the camera up and say, hey, can you take this photo? And she's like, why can't we just go riding like the old days? So, um, Anyways, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's most of the questions. What do you do? You, you got your smart guy not trying to suck up my bandwidth. But the feed's been good, right? Is this better here? I mean, it's not better for me. I'd rather be at Romero's. Um, by the way, if you're ever in uh, Pahrump, Nevada, stop by Romero's. Go by, say hi to Janie. She will um, try to sign you up for the tequila club. But since Janie's not here, um, George is here. Yeah, what do you think? You think I, like... All of a sudden, you got my attention. So, yeah, good, good on you. This is uh, what do we got? Casamigos? Yeah, not bad. Mm. 
I'd eat tacos, but they're all crunchy and makes bad sounds. So, <laughs> so, um, anyways, anybody out there have any other questions? I can answer nine out of 10 without referring to a reference manual. Um, I'm surprised nobody's asking about the bearing picture that I, uh, posted up earlier in the day. I was gonna, I was gonna kind of keep that one, uh, I was going to wait for somebody to ask and then, you know, prompt the question. But um, I'm hoping to get our CR450X long-term update number one up on uh, dirtbiketest.com. I'll tease it on the social medias when I get it up there. Um, we've done a lot of cool things to the bike, um, uh, worn some stuff out, um, broke one thing. Uh, been testing the clutches and when I went back in to take the recluse radius CX back out, um, I noticed there was a little extra, extra wobble in the clutch basket. And that's when I pulled out and inspected that, um, clutch hub bearing. That's the photo I shot the picture of. So I didn't go running to the internets and say, Oh my God, every Honda 450 X is going to blow up. The clutch is going to blow up. No, I, I actually called them and asked them if it was a known issue. Um, they're checking on it. Um, it. What it appears is that where that bearing, that $4 bearing was seam welded, the cage, it looks like it has kind of started to come apart. I think that allowed the bearing to rock a little bit and allowed the clutch basket to rock. I didn't notice that any other time. So maybe it's a new thing. Uh, so we're checking into it, see how it works. Um, I'm hopefully I'll have a new bearing tomorrow and I can throw that thing back together and go riding and, uh, I'll let you know, but we'll have all that information in our update on that bike. I pick up a Yamaha WR 450 next week. Um, we are going to get it set up with the competition ECU and have some other cool stuff in there. So expect a comparison soon. I think a lot of people are curious about that bike. I was really excited, um, with that bike after, uh, the first impression and I knew, that we rode it in, in a kind of like, we'll call it a power-up uh, stage from completely stock, but I knew if I could get that ECU in there, which will allow me to tune it with my phone, just like the YZ450, um, I'll be super, super stoked to do that, and then maybe putting a little bit of an exhaust on it and stuff like that can bring it up to the level where we have our um, 450. So uh, I think we got a couple other quick comments and stuff here. Um Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, uh, Mojave Bob told me he got seasick from watching one of the first ones, so I turned that camera following feature off. Let's see. Uh, Dimitri, fatty front tires. Uh, good, bad, where do they work? Uh, what bike are you specifically talking about? Um, if you're thinking about, like, the, the one fatty I have a lot of experience with is that golden tire, and I don't know what code number letters that one is um but it is their kind of fatty attire uh, i've used that on my adventure bikes and on my on my ktm 500 and i was really impressed with it in fact golden tire helped us out at king of the motos one year they came out and uh they uh, supported all of my course workers and they gave a lot of the course workers free tires which was super cool and that was the tire they they um they gave a few of us and everybody that's put one of those things on there all my guys that, that put those things on there are buying them again they're they're really good especially in sand and the durability is good and i i tend to like them uh in a traction sense i don't like them sometimes when you start talking about like you know more racing performance they get a little bit heavy um they kind of grab certain times they grab ruts a little bit different um so there's there's pluses and minuses to them um it really depends on what you're looking for but i i um i think for the most part people have been really um pretty happy uh with how that how that all works um and let's see helmet progress helmet project still in progress um i haven't worked on it too much um part-time job <laughs> so uh I, I i noticed when i announced that um a couple couple people reached out and a couple people went silent <laughs> so we'll see um it's it's uh I don't know. Um, it, there, some people I think are kind of convinced that it's better to let their uh, marketing team uh, do the marketing and uh, a real solid test. I, I, in all honesty, the only reason I would want to do that is um, not to 
pick better or worse or something like that, but to get the results out there. And I'll tell you what will happen. If we do this the way we did it at Dirt Rider, when I did a blind test, a, an anonymous test of these helmets, um, the top helmets reveal themselves. And then, and then everybody gets to see how the top helmets performed and they knew who the top helmets are. And then the helmets that come out not so good in the test, they go back and look at what they, where they didn't perform well. And I guarantee they look at how the top helmets performed and they figure out how can we get there or can we get there or how does it work? So net, net. And then as you, as a consumer, you know, which one the top helmets are, and then you can decide, does that helmet work for me? Or you start learning about the standards, you know, just some education, learning about what standards are, um, whether a certain standard meets kind of what you're really doing with your head and, and what you can expect. So that's a pretty important, um, important thing. So it's just educational. And if we have to smash, you know, $20,000, $40,000 worth of helmets to get there, I'm, uh, we're all better off for it. So, um, we'll see. Uh, it's, it's, that would be, it would be huge if we could pull it off. It is a time consuming thing. It is expensive with the lab time. And I really haven't um, really started pushing to find out what it would truly cost for us to be able to do, to do that. So, um, I, so San Felipe Bob says, I think I remember turning off the two wheel drive to reduce deflection. Uh, Bob raced, what'd you race? The Takati 250 Enduro on, on the Christini that I have. Um, I think he, he took my, it's a two, actually it was a 250. We punched it out to a 280. We put a what kit was that on it? I'm pretty sure it was the 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 bolt-on one. So it was like this the um, cylinder works uh, 280 kit, 270 or something like that. Put that thing on there. Man, that made it such a much better bike. It just gave it a little extra torque it needed to help pull the extra the drag on the motor. Um, so he. Uh, he raced that thing once, so he had definitely has some experience with it. I tell you what, when we go riding in the snow, it's the first bike I take. It's such a cheater. It's like, it's like letting all your guy, your friends get stuck up on the hill that's all iced up, and you put a few studs in your tire, and they're not looking, and then you ride right past them, not spinning, and go, "What are you guys doing?" <laughs> it's almost like that, that level of cheating. So, um, let's see. Uh, going back to the inReach versus the SpotX, which is better? Um, in reach, uh, spot. I I had a few spots. I was a spot guy in the beginning, and I had a few spots. And it seemed like every time they introduced um, a new one, my old one magically stopped working, and then th there was there was issues with it. And then I could get a discount on buying a new one, and I I didn't like that. I don't know why it happened. I don't know. If, not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but I didn't like that that happened. Uh, but what sold me on the in reach was the ability to do two-way texting and communication solely through the device. I don't have to pair it with another device to do that, so it just it just eliminates one extra battery to go dead or whatever. I've had really good success with my inReach. Um, I've never had to use it in a real critical emergency, uh, but I know friends that have, and it seems like it's worked. So uh, I that's my current uh, go-to, and I'm pretty sure you'll see more and more stuff come out on the market. and. So that's where I'm at on that one. Let's see. Um, uh, Shinko makes a copy of the Golden Tire. Um, okay. Uh, you know what I found? There's a lot of companies making copies of things. <laughs> and uh, I don't even know where Golden Tire started. I think Golden Tire was making soft rubber compounds of, of copies of other, of other tires as well. But... Um, when you get one of these tires as a copy, I'm not saying the Shinko is good or bad. I haven't 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 tried it, so I can't really. You no, know, I have. I did. We actually we did some of their soft tires. I think they're the Shinkos. They're the ones that are done through Western Power Sports. We tested some of their tires, and uh, they're gummies. I I believe they're and one was really good and one was bad, and it was they were two different sizes. They were slightly different tread compounds, and I think they just stuck whatever gummy rubber they had on a existing carcass, and. Somehow those two, the carcass and the gummy compound, uh, didn't mesh or match up on, on one of them. I'd have to go back and read the test to remember. Uh, but it was at the time when uh, gummy or sticky tires were just starting to come around. In fact, because Golden was the one that was doing them, and Dunlop was selling them for you know race-only ridiculous amounts of money. So there was definitely a market for it. And so um, 
when you see some of these copy tires and stuff like that, it may look the same on the outside, but the carcass is doing a lot of work on a tire. And the good thing about tires is they're easy, easily replaceable and they are wear items. So don't be afraid to try one. I mean, if you see a price point on a tire and you say, man, that tire looks good, I can't pass it up, try it. I mean, go for it. See if it works. I mean, that's how I learn. I try a lot of different stuff. So um, when, you know, there's there's a lot more engineering that goes into a tire, and that's why sometimes you just kind of stick to the big brands. And, and in my experience, my, my biggest fight with this is in the adventure market where everybody wants that magic tire that looks like a knobby that gets 9,000 miles of durability. And I'm like, you're fooling. If you're getting 9,000 miles, you're, you're using, you're making a tire made out of cement. It's not rubber. <laughs> so, um, you know, that Christini that that's doing that all wheel drive stuff. Here's the other thing about that Christini to roll back. That bike has some of my least favorite tires on it for adventure bikes. And it actually works okay. I'm usually scared on these tires, and because because the all wheel drive was working, it actually got traction. It felt okay. So maybe sometimes um, different <laughs> different drive systems will mask uh, poor tires. Um, so I think we're getting close to doing a full hour here. Um, wrapped it up. I think we've got most of the questions answered. Um, let's see, Takati Enduro. Uh, let's see. Um, rolling through this Shinko copy of the golden tire shed side knobs in my experience I don't know I haven't done it let's see thanks for the response yes thanks you guys for tuning in and watching um, I think that we had a good feed seems like that stayed consistent this time I'm happy so to roll back up check dirt bike test dot com on the interwebs so you can um see what we're really doing, uh, share this through Facebook, direct people back. You can listen to this as a podcast. You can stick it in your pocket with a volume up and hear kind of the information maybe while you're driving or while you're doing something else, working in the garage. Um, oh, I know what I was going to do. I was going to actually do a tech tip, a proper tech tip, just to do something. My, my tacos got me distracted. George, can you hand me the cylinder there? So, so I'm going to do the last minute here tech tip. Um, and I think I put the piston over here. So this is my KTM 200 cylinder. Uh, this is a 2004 or five. I don't remember what year it is. Uh, it's been through a lot. Actually, this bike, this bike has ridden almost every single King of the Motos course, uh, ever constructed more than once. Uh, I'm looking for my piston rings here. Uh, new ring, old ring. Where's the old ring? Here we go. Okay. So just a quick thing. Do you ever wonder if your bike's worn out or if, if your piston, your rings are worn out or something like this? A simple way to check. Um, you know, this is all described in manuals, but I'm just going to visually show you here real quick with this jug. See, I, my PBR was empty. I'd shove it in there, and it's not a 200cc PBR. So here's your piston. You take your ring, and you have your ring off the piston, and you can compress it down, and you make sure that the ring ends are going someplace where they're not going to pop into a port, you know, usually where the pin is on the piston would help you. And you take it and you just shove it in here like, like this. And you set your piston there. And you look inside there. That's how you see the end gap. Okay. And you say, okay, you know, there's measurements for that and everything. But if you don't have all the tools and you just have your old ring and then you have a new ring, you take your new ring and you put it in there just like the old one. And you set it in there like that. And you slide it in here like this. And then you can look down in there and you can see the difference and you can see whether your old ring was worn out. You never know. This one probably had, um, I think it was 150 hours on this. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy doesn't change his stuff very often. I run good oil. Make sure it's mixed properly because I mix it like this. You know, so um, anyways, you can check the difference and you can see, hey, uh, yeah, that was worn out or it wasn't worn out. And here's what I do. So if I ran this for, let's say, 25 hours and it wasn't worn out, the next time it's going to go 30. The next time it's going to go 40. You know, I can check each time and see and I start getting a, a gauge for it. And I realize, well, the rings aren't wearing out. How about the piston? There's ways to measure the piston. You can take your new piston in there, flop it around, 
put your old one in there, flop it around, feel the difference. Is that piston worn out? This one's definitely worn out. The ring is definitely worn out. The small end bearing is definitely worn out um, on this bike, on this particular bike. So we're going to put all that stuff. We got a, we got a vertex piston kit. We're going to throw it all on there and uh, put this thing back together. And hopefully Gabe will have a, a bike. So thanks again for watching. We will uh, see you next week. Hopefully actually this thing has to keep growing. The minute it doesn't grow, I'm done. I'm going riding. So, cause it's getting warmer during the day and I can go riding at seven o'clock at night. So we'll catch you on the flip side. See you around.